do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Hey, I wanted to ask you, okay, for those of you who are in this room and those of you who are even watching online, when was the last time that you memorized some scripture? I'm not just talking about your wanna days or maybe when you finally got down John 3:16 when you were at summer camp. But for those of you in the room who say, look, I need Jesus. I need to be like Jesus. I need to follow Jesus. When was the last time that you internalized and actually memorized his word? You know, we are in week three of this series called So That You May Know. And church, I want to challenge you, all of you, right out the gate, that as we go through this series, as we look at these passages in the Bible, that you would memorize these important scriptures found in 1 John. In fact, here in 1 John, we find some of the principles, the priorities, and even the practices that we kind of feel that we're aware of, but that we need to know, that we need to internalize as God's word leads us and guides us and as we follow our Lord. In fact, listen to me, church, a rich theology leads to faith-filled, authentic living that actually makes a difference. But see, that happens when God's word is written on your heart and you actually put it into practice. So I hope as a family, as a small group, maybe even just gathering some other people in the church that you would challenge yourself and challenge others to internalize and memorize some of these powerful passages in 1 John. And in fact, as a whole church, I'm challenging everyone, pastor included, to memorize 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. In fact, these are the key verses that John gives. These are the heart of his letter. In fact, when we read those verses out loud right now together, 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 through 13, John says, And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know, John says, that you may know that you have eternal life. Man, John writes the heart of his letter right here. And he says that you may know that you have eternal life. Have you ever doubted your faith? Have you ever doubted this Jesus? Have you ever been through these seasons of doubt? In fact, the apostle John is writing this in about 90 AD in the first century. And he's writing to a group of churches in this area of Rome called Ephesus. And he's writing from, because from without, but also from within, there's all sorts of challenges and even confusion that's beginning to happen about who Jesus is. That's causing doubt to some of these followers of Jesus from persecution under Emperor Domitian is happening from without. 
and then also this growing confusion from the outside now coming inside by these false teachers who were inside the church. Look, these false teachers were trying their best to, cor- to corrupt everything or even twist everything that the apostles had taught these followers about who Jesus is and about how we should live. In fact, Irenaeus, who was a bishop in the church in the second century, he made note to record, again, this is recorded history. He made note to record that one of the false teachings that John was trying to address was something called docetism. And docetism was championed by this guy named Serenthus. In fact, he taught that Jesus was just a normal man. And then at Jesus' baptism, the spirit of Christ landed on this regular man named Jesus And then when Jesus was about to be crucified, the spirit left him. And they were trying to teach this this heresy in the first century of the church. And that's the saying that Jesus wasn't really a man, wasn't really God. These false teachers are trying to penetrate the church and really teach that Jesus was either a phantom or an apparition or maybe even this ghost Jesus. But John says, look, your faith is not based on a phantom. Your faith is based on this very real Jesus, the God-man, the Lord God. But sometimes, as doubt is trying to creep into this church by these false teachers, sometimes, church, it takes just a seed of doubt to grow into a great harvest of confusion. But church, would you doubt your doubt, and would you follow Jesus? Look, today in this passage, We're in John. We see that John is going to challenge these churches in the same way, to walk in the same way that Jesus did. He's going to challenge them to follow him even through the confusion, to follow him even through the persecution, and to follow him even despite their doubts. Because even though a seed of doubt can grow into a harvest of confusion, even just a seed of faith, a seed of faith in Jesus Christ are advocates can grow into the love of God being made complete, even perfect in us. And listen to the way that John begins this next section of his letter to these churches. First John chapter two, starting in verse one. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to come to know him if we keep his commands. Look, whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. And by this, we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let's pray together this morning. Jesus, we need you. We need to be like you. We need to follow you. God, where else can we go? You have the words of life. God, we know that seeds of doubt can lead to a harvest of confusion in our lives, a harvest of confusion to who you are and who it is we're called to be and how we should live. But God, we want to follow you. Help us to doubt our doubts, to follow you, to trust you. 
Lord, it's in following you that we see that even just a seed of faith in Christ, our advocate, can lead to a harvest of generational blessing. God, that's what we want, Lord. That's what we want to see you do in us and through us. So, Lord, would you lead us? Show us the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, church, there's just three things I want to show you from this passage today, okay? First thing I want to show you, write this down, number one, okay? Healthy churches are multi-generational churches. A healthy church, a growing church, a church that's heading in the right direction is a multi-generational church. In fact, would you look back at 1 John chapter 2, verse 1? John starts off this section of the letter by saying, my little children. Now notice here, look, he calls them little children. Now some people maybe, maybe taught that maybe John was looking at all the very young people in the church and he's primarily addressing the younger people in the church. Uh, some, people, some people even thought and even taught that maybe John was talking down to some of the people in the church because he was the one, remember back in chapter one, we said, look, I've heard, I have seen, I've even touched Jesus. He was saying, look, I'm the one who actually walked and talked with Jesus while he was still physically here on earth. And some people talk, maybe he was trying to talk down to the other people saying, look, I'm the OG. I'm the one who actually walked with Jesus. I was the one and you guys, the rest of you guys, you just these little baby followers in Jesus. But that's not what he's trying to do. In fact, 14 times here in 1 John, 14 times he addresses the people that he's writing to as either little children, like what we see right here, but he also addresses them as either children of God or even children of the devil. And what John is trying to do right here, don't miss this church, okay? He's writing because he's not talking down to the people, but it says he's actually addressing every age and stage in these churches in Ephesus. This John, who's now this elder statement, in fact, we, we, don't, we don't fully know how old he was at this point, but we know he's probably near the end of his life. Um, we know he's probably near the end of his life, and we know that as his elder statement, he had lived for a very long time, and now he's writing to these churches, and they probably viewed him as either a spiritual father or even a spiritual grandfather. And this elder statesman in this church who so many viewed him as a spiritual father, he's writing them and addressing to them, and what he's actually doing is pointing out the multi-generationalness that's in these churches. Look, Coastal Church in Chesapeake. This is the example that we want to follow. This is the example that we want to follow is this first century church. And again, this is a picture even right now for us here in 2023, that a healthy church should be one that's multi-generational, where you have so many people of different ages and stages moving toward maturity in Christ. In fact, we should have people coming to our church who have no idea who Jesus is yet. But as they see others who are wrestling with and living out the gospel, and as God is calling them, they get to see what it's like and actually experience what it's like having a relationship with Jesus. Look, we should have people in our church who are just now trusting Christ, who are just now growing in their relationship with him, inviting others to come and see what even just a seed of faith can do. Man, we should have people in our church who've been walking with Jesus for a very long time. And you are mature in your faith 
and you've been through some painful seasons, but even through those painful seasons, you have a faith that is unshakable. You have a faith that is unshakable. It's been tested and proven because of the gospel and the good news of who Jesus is. Look, you want to know if a church is healthy or not? Look at the nursery. Is it empty? You want to know if a church is healthy or not? Look at the senior adult group. Is it empty? And you look at every single point in between. Do you have every age and stage who are moving toward maturity in Christ? Look, a healthy church should look like this one in the first century where it is a multi-generational church. But look how John continues in the next part of verse 1. Look, he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. This advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Look, number two, church, write this down, Kansas. Second thing I want to show you today from this passage. Don't stand with the accuser. Follow your advocate. Don't stay with the accuser who's trying to put more lies into your life, more false teaching into your life. Instead, follow the advocate. Look, John says, again, my little children, those of you who are in the church of every age and stage of maturity in Christ, he says, look, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Look, last week, Pastor Hunter talked about how it's so important for us to live in the light, to walk in the light, and how part of living in the light, walking in the light, one of the first things that you do, you have to be a good confessor. You have to be someone who's ready to confess your sin to the Lord, to repent to the Lord, and that's where it begins. But now John is saying, look, that is not just a starting point, confessing your sins to the Lord, but now he's saying that when it comes to sin, we need to avoid it. We even need to hate it. In fact, church, let me ask you this question this morning, okay? How many of you, by show of hands, is a sinner? Raise your hand up. You're a sinner? Okay, raise your hand Okay, if you don't have your hand up, you just committed your first sin and you lied in church because everyone is a sinner. Every single one of us is a liar in some fashion or way. Every one of us has sinned in some sort of way. But look back again at the second part of this verse. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But he says, if anyone does sin, we have this advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is a propitiation for our sins. Look, there's two words here in these verses that I want to highlight. If you have a good old analog Bible, circle the word advocate, circle the word propitiation. If you have a digital Bible, go ahead and just um, highlight these two verses. John is saying right here, look, he's saying, look, I know until Jesus comes back, until we actually go to be with him, look, we are still going to, going to struggle with temptation, or even engaging in sin. And again, I hope we all know that none of us is perfect. Look, pastor included, look, I still wrestle with sin and temptation, but we are to remember that we have an advocate. Look, this advocate here is a picture of Jesus Christ as our heavenly attorney. He's fighting on our behalf. Look, our advocate, he understands us, he knows us, but church, he also wins for us. Because the truth is, we have an accuser. We have a real enemy. Satan is a real enemy, a real accuser of the believers. 
In fact, author and theologian John MacArthur, he says it this way about this verse. He says, Satan prosecutes believers night and day before the Father due to sin. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says, night and day, day and night, he never stops accusing the believers. He never stops trying to put more lies and more falsehoods into their lives. But he says, Christ's high priestly ministry guarantees not only sympathy, but also our acquittal. Look, church, we have an advocate in Christ. And John highlights that this advocate is Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Now, I know some of you, look, you use, you use, you use the word propitiation all the time. You probably use it on your way to church this morning. You probably have it on your resume, maybe on your profile. Um, I know Pastor Hunter has the word tattooed somewhere on him as well. I know most of us, some of you probably know what the word is, but I think most of us probably have no idea what that word means, okay? So I need you to, again to help me out. I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you. I want you to look him in the eye, okay? I want you to tell him, repeat after me, say, you need. They're not going to believe you if you say it like that, okay? Okay, look him in the eye and tell him, you need this propitiation. Now turn to the person who's your second choice and tell him, hey, you too, you really need it, by the way, too, as well, okay? Here's what the word means. Propitiation is turning away of anger by offering or payment. It is a sacrifice of atonement. Church, propitiation is at the heart of the gospel. We are all born with this problem of sin in our hearts. In fact, it is sin that causes the brokenness that we see in us and around us. And in fact, the Bible tells us that our sin is earning us something. It says that the wages of sin is death. It's this outpouring of God's wrath on that sin. And if we don't pay for that sin, if we don't pay for that sin, we're going to spend eternity with God's wrath being poured out as payment for that sin. If there was no payment, we would literally have no hope. But the good news is, while we were still sinners... Jesus Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, this Jesus came and died for us, and he provided a way that our sins would be paid for. He is the propitiation for our sins. He is God's wrath turned away so that we could actually experience life, so we could actually have the hope that we need, so we can actually gain eternal life one day and life to the full today. Though God's wrath turned away from us, our sins atone for. And this is not just a reminder for the believer, but it's also a call to those who haven't yet trusted Jesus. John says it's not just for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. Now, he's not saying right here that everyone in the world is going to believe. He's not saying here that because of this, that everyone in the world is going to be saved. But what he's saying here is that, that now this salvation that had been promised through Abraham from way back in the beginning, is now available to every single person, every single nation. The pardon for our sin is offered to the whole world, but is only received by those who actually believe. Man, Jesus appeased God's wrath, his just wrath for our sin. But not only that, if that weren't good enough, 
because of this propitiation, we now get to be in God's family and we get all the benefits of being part of his family. Dr. Tony Evans, he says it this way. He says, he, Jesus, satisfied. He's the propitiation, God's righteous demand, so that the creator is favorably disposed toward those who place faith in him for eternal life. God himself paid the price for a legal relationship and intimate fellowship with you. Come on, church, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Because if you don't, you can today. This Jesus who is God died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. He bodily rose from the dead, making a way, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering the grave, providing for you. He's a propitiation for your sins. If you repent of that sin, believe this good news about Jesus. You receive this eternal life that he wants to give you. You receive this life to the full that he wants to give you today. Do you have a relationship with him? Do you know him? And if you know him, do you doubt him? Church, remember, you weren't bought. Your salvation was not purchased with something cheap. It was purchased with Christ. So on this day today, who are you listening to? Are you listening to the accuser? Are you listening to the accuser who wants to put more falsehoods and lies into your life every single day? Are you listening to the accuser who says, look, all those years that you believed in Jesus, it was just a waste of time. Are you listening to the accuser that says all this stuff about Jesus and following him is so old-fashioned and outdated? Are you listening to the accuser that says all you'll ever be is what you've done or what's been done to you? Are you listening to the accuser who says, you know, that mistake and that sin that you keep doing that no one else knows about? That is who you are. Church, don't listen to the accuser. Don't stand with him. Follow your advocate. You don't have to let your doubt or your past or your sin or your shame define you because now your advocate gets to define who you are. That's why it's so important that we know the gospel. Man, you know your story, what Jesus has been doing in your life, and then you proclaim that story, that good news to others. Don't stand with the accuser. Follow your advocate. And then before I give you my last point for today, okay, I wanted to say this with you, okay, because... Sometimes I think we forget this, but I wanted to remind you that God really, really, really loves you. In fact, one of the, one of the, the pinnacle principles that John keeps mentioning all throughout this letter, that God is love. He's the very definition of love, like God deeply loves you. And because of that love for you, that sometimes even in his conviction, he's not trying to produce confusion. Even in his conviction, he's trying to give you some more clarity. So sometimes when we share these things or you hear these things in God's word, if you feel that tinge of conviction, remember, you got to take the hit, but you also got to take a step. Number three, write this down, church. Authentic followers of Jesus abide consistently while hypocritical followers abide occasionally. Look, authentic followers of Jesus are consistently abiding in him, following him, walking in him while hypocritical ones are doing it occasionally. Look how John continues here in verse three. He says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. 
But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. And he says, by this we know that we are in him. And listen to how John concludes this section in verse 6. He says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he, talking about Jesus, walked. Now, notice right here, it's not a run, praise God, it's a walk, okay? It's not a run, it's a walk. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2 kind of repeated this same idea about what it means to actually walk in Jesus, walk with Jesus, to be consistent about it. He says in chapter 2, verse 6 of Colossians, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And again, notice even right here, Paul says, look, it's, it is a walk here. It is this idea of step-by-step obeying Christ's commands, step-by-step following Jesus. This step-by-step emphasizes this consistency in walking with Christ. This is how the follower of Jesus grows. It's consistently following his commands. And John says, look, we, we aren't always going to get it right. Look, he says, look, if you do have sin, you still have this advocate. Remember you had this advocate who's still calling you, reminding you of the gospel, reminding you who, who he is, reminding you who, what you're called to do. You still have this advocate. But John is sharing with these churches that walking consistently in Christ, this is how the love of God is perfected in, in us. In other words, completed, brought to fulfillment in us. It's this consistent, step-by-step, day-by-day, step, walk-by-walk, following Jesus. You know, in, in everyday life, this is something called the cumulative principle. And the cumulative principle is, is, is defined by this, okay? Craig Rochelle defines it, I think, in a really good way. He says this cumulative principle, the cumulative effect, is a powerful outcome produced by an action that happens, even if it's small, over and over across a long period of time. It's consistently doing the things you know you're supposed to do over and over, over a period of time that has this cumulative effect that builds in your life. In fact, I thought I would illustrate it for you this way, okay? How many in here right now, you're currently working and maybe, or you just want a job one day? Okay, raise your hand up. You want to, okay, okay, most people, right? Um, let, let, me, let me say that, okay, you're all working right now. And let me just say that I'm going to give you a bonus today. And there's two different ways that you can take the bonus. The first bonus offer I want to give you is a $3 million cash bonus today, okay? Now, just so you know, I don't really have the money. This is just an illustration, okay? So don't try to come up after church asking me for it. If you're watching online, don't drive down to the church. I don't really have the money, okay? It's just an illustration, all right? Everyone got that? Okay, you understand? All right? I see some people not nodding their heads. You're going to be the people who come up to me after church and say, I said I wanted $3 million, okay? Just an illustration. All right, so that's one offer today. Right now, I'll give you $3 million cash. The second offer is that I would give you a bonus that begins with this. Anybody know what that is? Can you see it? 
penny, right? Another really small. A lot of people don't carry coins around. In fact, I had to search for this to find one. But let's say I gave you a penny, and this penny began on day one, but then the money doubles every day for 30 days. So the next day it would be two cents. By day three, it would be four cents. And get it, it continues to double for 30 days. So either I give you $3 million today, or you wait 30 days, and you consistently just wait on this money to double, okay? And at the end of the 30 days, you get the amount, and that's your bonus. Now, how many of you, just by show of hands, okay, how many of you would take the $3 million today? Raise your hand up. $3 million today, okay? All right? All right, I, I get it. I understand. Let me just say you should take the penny, all right? Because this is what happens. This is how the cumulative effect works in your life, okay? So day one, right, you would have one cent, one penny, and begins to double every day. By day 15, you would have $163.84. All right, I see you're still not convinced, all right? By day 25, you would have $167,772.16. All right, I see. Some of you guys are just saying, look, I'm glad I took the $3 million, all right? Look at this. By day 29, you have $2 million, $2,684,354.56. And if you get the principle, right, if it's going to double the next day, by the very last day, you would have $5,368,709.12. By consistently waiting, by consistently letting this money double for a period of 30 days over time, it has this cumulative effect that actually builds in your life, and in this case, will build your income. Look, church, this is what John is trying to teach this church. He's trying to say, look, it's not in some of these big moments that we all want, but it's in the consistency, walking day by day over time with Christ that you see this love of God even being perfected, even being brought to fulfillment, made, brought to completion in your life. In fact, it's the same type of thing that John would even record Jesus saying in John chapter 15, where John, where Jesus was saying, look, you need to abide in me. Jesus said, look, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Look, church, do you feel stuck right now? Like you're doing nothing. Like life is not heading in the right direction. Again, sometimes we think we need these big magical moments, but what we really need to do is consistently abide in Christ. Look, right now, are you an occasional Christian? Is your faith all talk or is it walk? Are you consistently abiding and following Jesus? You know, I know there's a season in the church where uh, we would say it's not about uh, rules It's about a relationship. And yes, that is true to a certain extent, but any good relationship has some good guardrails, some good guidelines, some good disciplines that help define that relationship. So I thought I would end this message today by just going through some of the spiritual disciplines that are taught all throughout the Bible so that we can ask ourselves the question, look, are we consistently walking in the way that Jesus walked? 
Are we consistently following him? Look, church, right now, are you consistently reading God's word? Are you reading the Bible daily? Look, I get it. I think every one of us will have maybe a moment or maybe even a day where we forget or we miss it, but has the pattern become consistently not reading God's word or are you consistently reading his word daily? Not just that, are you obeying it? Look, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Are you growing consistently in reading God's word and actually doing what it says? Look, are you consistently growing in prayer? Uh, A few months ago, we did a, a series on prayer called Pray Like This. And we talked about how right now scientists are just trying to, just now catching up to what the Bible teaches and how it even says, look, if 12 minutes a day, Dr. Caroline Leaf said that just 12 minutes a day of consistent prayer, of focused prayer can literally begin to rewrite your mental pathways. Just 12 minutes a day of focused prayer literally begins to change your mind into the very direction of Christ. Look, some of you right now, you are living in a season, a moment of anxiety and worry because you're letting, you are consistently focusing on that anxiety or worry. But what you need to do is focus it on prayer because it is through prayer that God begins to give us a heart of peace instead of one that is anxious. Are you consistently growing in prayer? Look, are you consistently growing in repentance and confession? Now, again, Jesus didn't need to do this but he taught his people how to do this. And we need to remember that if we confess our sins, man, he is faithful and just to forgive us every single time. Look, we wanna be a church of good repenters and not just to our heavenly father, but to each other. And are you a good confessor and a repenter to the people that you have even offended? Are you growing in repentance and confession? Look, are you growing in worship? Focusing your attention and your affection on God's greatness. Are you growing in fellowship and community that John emphasizes so much all throughout this book? And again, actually loving one another and pursuing this gospel-centered unity that Jesus prayed for and that John is calling us to through the Holy Spirit in this book of the Bible that we're in. Look, are you consistently growing in generosity and serving and sharing the gospel? Giving of your time, talent, and treasures to actually love God and love people and to spread the good news. Are you consistently growing in rest and solitude? Taking a break from the busyness that is our life here in these United States. Are you consistently growing actually rest and solitude to take a break to reconnect with your heavenly father and the relationship that actually matters the most? And then as our worship team comes back to the stage, the last one is really just kind of a a catch-all for all of them. (laughs) Are you consistently growing in, seeking first the kingdom of God? In Matthew 6, 33, Jesus said, look, seek first the kingdom of God. All these other things will be added to you as well. Look, are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Are you seeking his will first in every single decision that you're making? Come on, in that relationship that you're thinking about stepping in, are you seeking first the kingdom of God? In that relationship that maybe you're thinking about ending, are you seeking first the kingdom of God? In that job you wanted to walk away from, that job you're looking to get right now, are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Come on, church. We need to be a church that doesn't just follow Jesus occasionally, but consistently. We abide 
we walk step by step, we're following him. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. And I thank you, God, for how good it is. And I thank you, Lord, that it is through you that we don't have to stand with the accuser, but instead we follow our advocate. Jesus, you are the propitiation for our sins. The wrath of God turned away, our sins atoned for. God, we praise you for that this morning. In fact, God, on behalf of everyone in here who already knows you, Lord, I praise you. I thank you for that. But I also thank you, God, it's not just for our sins, but it's for the whole world. God, it's even for the person that's sitting in here today who has not trusted you as Lord, that propitiation is available to them. God, I pray that today would be the day that they turn away from that and they turn toward you. They stop listening to the accuser and believing the lies of this world, but instead they would turn to the one who wants to be their advocate. God, I pray that someone doesn't know you today, that today would be the day that they trust you as Lord, that they see this Jesus who is God, died on the cross to pay the price for their sins. He bodily rose from the dead. I pray they would repent today, they would believe and receive. But God, I pray for the person in here that does know you. And God, maybe they have been listening to the accuser. And maybe they have been listening to the fact that, or the thought that everything that maybe that's been done to them, or maybe that they've done, that's all they're ever going to be. But the truth is, Lord, you call us to so much more. God, you say the opposite. They are dearly loved. God, that you care for them. God, you have a plan for them. God, your, their hope is in you. God, that you have literally make a way that even today they can walk in the way that you walked. God, help us to be a church. Well, we're not following you occasionally, but consistently. God, even through persecution, even when the rest of the world is trying to tear down what we believe about you, God, even in our doubt, Lord, help us to follow you consistently so the love of God can be made complete, fulfilled, perfected in us. God, we love you, Lord, and we trust you in Jesus' name.